In 2005, a gentleman named Jeff Goldblatt was struggling with a breakup, a heartbreaking time in his life, and he and his girlfriend had broken up, and he just couldn't really seem to get past it. And day after day, he was complaining to his friends about it. He was struggling with what to do. He was trying to put it in his past, and he, he couldn't do it. And then he, he realized what he needed was a benchmark. He needed a moment, a decisive moment in his life in which he said, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to let it go, and I'm going to move forward from there. So in 2005, Jeff established National Let It Go Day. The, the day to, excuse me, I'm sorry, National Get Over It Day. I knew that didn't sound right. National Get Over It Day. Uh, and it's on the calendar now. March 9th of every year is National Get Over It Day. And he put it intentionally on March 9th because it's roughly halfway between Valentine's Day uh, with an emphasis on breakups and relationships between Valentine's Day and April Fool's Day. So he said, let's just say there's a day every year when you, when you need to exercise your willpower, he says, and sometimes you just got to get over it. Well, he has a point. Uh, because there are those things that we drag along behind us that anchor us in the past, and we have a hard time getting over those things. Uh, but at the same time, we do understand that not everything... We, can not, we can't get over everything just as an act of willpower. Decisions matter. But if you're like me, there are those things in the past that no matter how much willpower you apply to trying to get over it, it just still haunts you. It still lingers. You're still dragging it along behind you. And, and if you do let go of it, something reminds you of it and you reach back there and tie it on again and drag it along a little while longer. We're in a message series where we're talking about how Jesus sets us free. And we looked at, at how generally in John chapter 8, Jesus said that uh, if the Son of God sets you free, you will be free indeed. And if God's truth sets you free, you will be free. And from there, we have applied that principle to several aspects of our lives, to worry, to struggles in our lives, to uh, pain and suffering in, in other ways. And this morning we're going to see and be reminded again how Jesus sets us free from the pain of our past. Now let's be real honest. Uh, some of us, were, uh, our past is cluttered with all kinds of struggle and heartache and regrets and pain and suffering. For others of us, it's not so much a forest as it is a great redwood. One thing stuck in the past that hinders us from moving forward. It's that one event, that one thing that's happened, that we just can't seem to get past it. But all of our struggles and heartaches have a couple of things in common. And typically they are either things we have done or things that have been done to us. Things we have done or things we have, that have been done to us or some combination of those things. So this morning, we're going to look at an event in Scripture recorded in the Bible uh, where Jesus applies God's wisdom and God's actions and calls us out to make a decision to leave the past behind. We're going to see how Christ sets us free from the pain of the past. Before we even move forward, though, I want to make a couple of clear statements about how the Bible, what the Bible is teaching related to this. 
Uh, the first thing to understand is uh, often, when, even though, though Christ does set us free from the pain of our past, He does so when uh, we receive Him as our Savior. It, it's a fact of your condition in Christ. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you are set free from sin and death, and the past goes along with that. And that's what we all have in common, and that's the first thing to understand is your sin is the problem. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never dealt with that problem in the first place. No matter the willpower you apply to jettisoning the anchors of the past, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that's your first step, to be forgiven of your sin and to trust Christ as your Savior. Now, having said that, Sometimes we need counseling and help to move forward. That's the second thing I want to make sure we pocket away and understand. Because many believers think, well, I've trusted Christ. He set me free from sin and death. Why is it that these things still bug me? Why is it that the pain of my past still haunts me? Whether it's something I did or something done to me, whether it's addiction or trauma, whether it's regrets or disappointments, they still haunt me. Why is that? Because sometimes we need someone to help us move forward. Counseling is biblical. Counseling is helpful. Counseling helps us move forward. But understand, counseling is never a substitute for Christ. You need Christ. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, no amount of counseling is a substitute for Christ. And the third thing I want to mention is that you do have an enemy. He doesn't show up in the text specifically in the same way that he does in other places in the Bible, but you have an enemy. His name is Satan. The Bible calls him the devil, and he is happy to make you think you were stuck in the past. He is happy to make you think that Christ has not set you free. He is happy to make you uh, doubt even your salvation. Don't let him do that. If you know you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've dealt with the sin in your life, you can move forward from there. Sometimes you need help doing it. Counseling, wisdom, stay in God's word, pray, and move forward from there. So having said that, I want us to dig deep this morning into one passage of scripture. We're going to return to the chapter we started this series in, John chapter 8. The gospel of John in chapter 8. Now as you've already seen, and as I mentioned a moment ago, we started with a, a lengthy teaching in John chapter 8, where Jesus is confronted with the religious leaders, and in that confrontation, Jesus says those, teaches those famous truths that if the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. In contrast to religion and good works, willpower and self-effort. Those things do not set you free, but Christ will set you free. This morning we're going to look at the story that opens that chapter, in which I believe, by God's providence, leads into that great teaching of Christ setting us free, that trusting Christ sets us free from sin and death and everything else that comes after that. So look at this with me, the Gospel of John in chapter 8. We're going to start reading at verse 2. This is what the Bible says. At dawn, he, that is Jesus, went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and he began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now let me pause right here and make a point that I'm not going to, I'm not going to belabor 
the details of ancient law and the ancient world, this kind of thing. But if you're familiar with the story, you may already know that actually the law of Moses says both parties, because it takes two, that both parties are supposed to be brought for a verdict of judgment. They conveniently left the man out of it. Verse 6, they asked this to trap him in order that they may have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and he said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. This story, a real historical account, actually happened the way it was recorded, and God's preserved it. And God's providence illustrates a teaching of Scripture that uh, the Apostle Paul articulates in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. It's very simple. In Christ there is no condemnation. As Paul puts it for, therefore now there is no condemnation in Christ. Once you are in Christ, the judgment has been made and there is no condemnation. You are set free in Christ. And this story illustrates that great truth of Scripture. And it helps us understand also the baggage from the past. Sometimes we let that condemn us. We, we carry that along as kind of a self-condemnation. And, and when we do that, believer in Christ, Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is constantly asking you, why are you doing that? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so why be self-condemning when God no longer condemns you for the things of the past? We're going to go back to this story for a few minutes. I want you to see with me how it is that, that Jesus interacts with this woman. Remember, as we, as we understand from Scripture, uh, and we know from Scripture that Jesus is God in human flesh, so how Jesus behaves is how God behaves. How Jesus responds, what Jesus says, this is God acting, this is God talking, this is how God responds to us when he finds us in this condition of guilt and regret and condemnation that we carry with us from the past. Look at this with me. I want you to see just a few things that Jesus does. First, Jesus joins you. And that might sound a little odd at first, but pay attention to this. Jesus joins you. Believe it or not, God actually sides with certain people. And the people that he sides with are those who know they are sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus says this over and over. Now, he loves everyone, don't misunderstand, but those who turn to him and admit their sin and in need of a Savior, Jesus sides with them. And the story bears this out in a certain way. Jesus joins you in your suffering. He knows your past. He knows your behavior. And he knows what's been done to you. And when the time comes for your repentance, and when the time comes to uh, move away from the pain of the past, he joins you right where we are, right where you are. The, the story opens in an interesting way. Notice the first thing we're told is Jesus is teaching 
And all the people are there. Well, clearly not all the people are there, but everyone is there that has come to hear him teach. That's what the phrase means. All the people are there. And he would be sitting back and teaching the people. There's a crowd out there, and he's teaching them around the temple. So the first group of people identified in the story are the people who have come to hear him teach. Then another group of people are identified in the story. The religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees. And they bring this woman caught in adultery into the midst of his teaching and put her in the center, meaning between him and the people that he's teaching. So she's front and center in her shame and humiliation. Throws her right down there. Now we have a second group identified. The religious leaders. You've got all the people. You've got the religious leaders. And the Bible tells us, as we read it, their intent was to trap him because the law of Moses says that a woman caught in adultery must be stoned. That's her judgment. If he sides with the religious leaders and says, yes, she is stoned, the crowd, she should be stoned, the crowd would side against him. And they know this. If he doesn't side with the religious leaders and say, yes, the law of Moses says she must be stoned, again, the crowd will turn against him because he's not supporting the great law of Moses. They are convinced they have him trapped. What they don't understand is he doesn't side with either one of them. He sides with her. That's the third party in the story. Not just the woman, but the woman and Jesus. They are together in this trap. They are together in this situation. It's indicative and, and illustrates the truth of Scripture that God in Christ knows you. He joins you right where you are. He doesn't wait for your past to be erased. He doesn't wait for you to be perfect. He joins you right where you are. It's you that he joins. It also reminds us of how manipulative and dangerous and harsh religion can be apart from Christ. There, these people are great religious teachers, but they manipulate and use both the woman and Jesus to try to trap Jesus in a point. The incarnation of Christ, God comes to us in the flesh, means this. God joins you. Yeah. God came to earth in the flesh to join us where we are, to teach us the truth of God, to save us, give us opportunity to be saved from our sin by Christ dying on the cross for us. God walks with us through this time. God knows what you've been through. And if you'll open your heart for Christ, he will join you in the midst of the suffering and the struggle and the pain of your past. He, he joins you right where you are. He doesn't turn his back on you because of your past. And some of us sitting in here, uh, we have probably wondered that. If, if God can love me because of what I've done, and sometimes because of what's been done to me, can God love me? Yeah. He joins you. He sides with you. He knows your pain. And he knows your past. He knows who you are. Which brings us to the second thing we see Jesus do and 
what God wants us to remember as well. God knows you. God not only joins you, he, he, he knows you, and he knows me, and he knows our sin. He knows who we are. The one thing that is without doubt in the whole story, without question, don't even have to wait for it, it opens the story, is the woman is guilty. No question about it. The woman is guilty of adultery. Nobody denies it. Nobody asks about it. The woman is guilty of adultery. Uh, but the assumption of all the people and their crowd and the religious leaders on their side, the assumption is she's the only one that's guilty. They asked Jesus the question, are you going to side with Moses? Or are you going to deny Moses? Seeking to trap him. And Jesus squats down, stoops down, and writes in the dirt. Now, I've heard all kinds of speculations about why Jesus, what, excuse me, what Jesus writes in the dirt. What did he write in the dirt that day? We'd all love to know, wouldn't we? We have no idea. And we don't need to know. If we needed to know, you know what? God would have put it in there for us. Because the point of the story is not what Jesus wrote in the dirt. Listen, the point of the story is that Jesus wrote in the dirt. It was an action he took intentionally. Now, here's what I mean. Even in our day and time, 21st century, let alone the first century, when a judge is going to reach a verdict, frequently they will take a bit of time out, dismiss for the day or a couple of days, go write their judgment, and then return and read it. Even the jury does that. And the judge expects the jury to do that. In the first century, it was no different. The judge would write his verdict and then present it to the guilty. Jesus is making a clear and definitive statement. The only one in the crowd qualified to judge the woman is him. That's it. No one else is qualified to judge her. But that also means he is passing judgment on everyone else that's there. You notice the Bible says, well, well notice what it doesn't say. Why do they start leaving? Why do they start dropping their rocks and leaving? Not because of what he wrote, but because of what they heard. And there's a, a truth that undergirds the story, a sad truth, in fact. Think about it this way. And I know I'm speculating a little bit, but what if one of them had stayed? What if one of them had dropped his rock and said, I get it. I'm guilty too. I'm ashamed of what I've done today. Because there they were, facing the judge Almighty himself, God, was in their midst. And they chose to drop the rocks and just leave. Nothing changed for them that day other than being pronounced guilty, and they knew it. But they didn't, they didn't want to do anything about that. They just left that day. And Jesus turns to the woman. He says, well, how about that? And that's Bob's paraphrase, but how about that? Where are your accusers? Looks to me like they've left. 
And he is there with her all by themselves because God stays. He stays. He doesn't leave you. He judges you. He's the only one qualified to judge your sin. But he's also the only one qualified to forgive your sin. And he loves you so much he won't leave you. There is nothing you've done in your past or been done to you that he will turn your back and walk away. Because he loves you that much. And he knows you that well. Now, sometimes, especially if our past is checkered with things done to us, our response at this moment is, well, I didn't do anything. They did that, they did that, they did that. But the Bible keeps pressing the point that you and I are sinners in need of a Savior. Because pay attention to this. If you're hanging on to your anger, if you're hanging on to your bitterness, if you're hanging on to your self-condemnation, you need to get with God and repent of your sin as well. The only person you and I are responsible for, the only person you're responsible for is you before God. You can't do anything about that other person. Nothing. But you certainly, you certainly can repent of your sin and come to him. He knows you. He knows what you've done. He knows who you are. He is your judge and he is your forgiver along the way. That brings us to the third thing Jesus says. Jesus sets us free. Jesus frees you from the pain of the past. The end of the story is the first time he talks to the woman. There they are by themselves, standing outside. So he stands up and he addresses her. He says, well, look at that. No one has accused you. And in doing that, I want to walk through this very end of the story for a moment. In doing that, God gives us some direct instructions, some principles of what we should do to move forward. You know you've trusted Christ as your Savior. It's time to move forward. From the past. The first thing is to accept God's forgiveness. To accept God's forgiveness. Who, where are your accusers? They've all left. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you today. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Her repentance is her kneeling at his feet. Her, her plea for forgiveness is that she doesn't run off herself. Her desire to be saved is that she is there in front of him, guilty. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Accept God's forgiveness. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, and you're hanging on to the guilt and the shame and the struggle of the past, maybe it's time just to say, God, forgive me for not believing you that you forgave me. It's time to move on. It's time to let go of it. It's time to say goodbye to those things you can no longer control. It's true the past influences us. It does shape us. It does mold us. But the wonderful thing about God and Christ is, is Christ wastes nothing in our lives. He can use that in your life to grow you and to help you and to move you forward and help you minister to others. Accept his forgiveness. If he's forgiven you, you've asked him to forgive you, accept that forgiveness. Trust him. Believe him. And then secondly, obey God's command. Obey God's command. Neither do I condemn you, he says. Go and sin no more. 
The word translated go is, is a riveting Greek word. You know what it means? Go. And it pictures a person on a journey. This is what it means. It means now you're starting over today. Go from here, not from back there. Not even from the bedroom you were caught in. Go from the feet of Jesus and move forward in your journey now. Go. Go. When Christ sets you free, it's okay to move forward. Jesus gives you permission to leave the past behind. It's okay. It's okay to embrace your forgiveness. It's okay to say, I can't deal with, I, don't, I, I, I can't handle what other people have done, I'm not responsible for that. It's okay to move forward. It's okay. So then third, make your decision. Jesus' second command is, sin no more. More literally, sin this sin no more, but sin no more. Uh, don't return to this, this place, this sin any longer. Make a decision that you're going to move forward. And for her, it was leaving that sin behind. That sin of hers encompassed both her guilt and her shame. What she did and what people had done to her. And maybe that's your case as well. But whatever your case is, the Bible is clear, make a decision to move forward. And if it's something you have been doing, you might need help getting past it, but if it's something you, can, you have been doing, make that decision to go. Start over today, start a fresh journey with God today, and stop doing that which ties you to your past. You can actually make a decision to move forward. The thing about human nature in our sin is we tend to return to that, 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 those old habits, that old, those old behaviors. We tend to recycle the things of the past. We tend to listen to the enemy when he tells us, oh, you're, you're, you're no good, you're, you're not really saved, you're not really forgiven, or whatever it is, you're not really free. Instead of listening to Christ when he says, here's your willpower in Christ, not by yourself, not just by your willpower, but in Christ, listen to this, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, you have been forgiven, Go from here and don't do that again. And you can leave it behind. And the Bible has an interesting teaching about our relationship with Christ. You know what it is? You don't have to sin. You can decide not to. But when you do, and if you do, he's always there to forgive you. He loves you that much. A lady named Lindsay Kennedy that lives in Delray Beach, Florida, has an unusual habit, and, and I'm not diminishing her because she had some health issues as well and some mental health issues, not diminishing that or making fun of her, but she has a, a, an interesting and difficult habit. She likes to swim in the canals in Delray Beach, Florida. And the authorities come along and they, and they tell her, this happened in January, they call out to her, would you please get out of the canal? It's, it's not legal to swim in the canals. And rather than climb out of the canal, Lindsay scooted into a storm drain. And then she just started running through that culvert under the streets of Delray Beach. And they had to call the fire department. They had to call the rescue service. They had to find her along the way and, 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 and pull her out at another opening of the culvert. And Lindsay's done that two other times. Exactly the same thing. One time she was stuck underneath the city in these storm drains and culverts 
for a week. Because once she was in there, she couldn't find the way out. So she finally came to a grate and she started screaming at the street, help me, help me, help me. And the rescuers came, same scenario. Fire department came, police came, EMS came. They opened it up, they pulled her out, found a way out. She did it again a few months later. Then she did it again in January. Listen to this. Yeah, sometimes we keep going back to the old stuff, but the rescuer never gives up on us. You don't have to wonder if he has decided to turn his back on you. He has not. If you call out to him again, he is there for you. If you ask his forgiveness, if you confess your sin, if you drift backward a bit, he's there for you. Reach out again. Decide today. Yeah, I'm starting over, Jesus. I'm starting over today. Leaving that past behind. Asking his forgiveness accepting his forgiveness, and moving forward in Christ. And he'll help you do that. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around right where you are. You know, our regrets, our struggles, our disappointments, our our suffering of the past, whether it's trauma, whether it's regrets, mistakes we've made, it's there for all of us. And maybe there is that which you struggle with the most, that baggage that you've been carrying. I want to pray for you specifically this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. God knows what you're talking about. I don't need to know. God knows what you're talking about. If that's you, just lift your hand up where you are so I can pray for you. Good, thank you. Heavenly Father, you see our hands, but even more so, God, you know our hearts. You know what our past experience has been. You know what's been done to us. And you know, God, what we have done. You know all these things, Father. So God, this morning, for those who raised their hands and even those of us who didn't, Father, I pray today we would start over. God, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our bitterness, our envy, our anger. Forgive us, God, for holding on to those things that you've forgiven us of. Forgive us, God, for listening to the voice of the enemy who says we're worthless. Forgive us, God. For all of that, Father, cleanse us, fill us new with your Holy Spirit, that today we would start over. Today we would hear the words of Christ resonating in our hearts to go. Start our journey today anew and afresh in following Christ. I pray for us, God, who struggle with the past. Free us from that past today. Remind us of that liberty we have in Christ. Remind us that grace has broken those chains and we are free to live for Christ. Now, God, also sometimes it's people in our lives that are checkered in the past. It's people we have to deal with. And maybe we see those same people today. Maybe it's a familiar face, God, tied to our past and our pain. So, Father, we're going to do that hard thing, and we're going to pray for that one. We're going to pray for that one, God, that haunts our hearts and pulls us to the past. We pray for them, God. We pray that... In Christ, we would remember there is no condemnation in Christ, that we are free. We pray for them because they need freedom in Christ. We, we pray for them because they need forgiveness. And God, we pray you would open our hearts as Christ and Christ alone can do, not by our willpower, but because of Christ, we forgive them as well. And we're going to let that go. We can't help what other people do. But God, we want to follow Christ. So God, we give you that pain, that past, that struggle. We give that to you today. 
And today we move forward. Father, I pray for all of us, whatever needs or suffering or struggles we have. God, maybe it's right here today. Maybe it's fear of tomorrow. But Father, we give all that to you today. And I pray the Holy Spirit would be at work in our midst here and at home to liberate us from those things that tie us down in this life. And God, I pray for those who need Christ as their Savior. Today in this room, right at home, there is someone, Father, that's never trusted Christ. They're still going on religion and willpower. And God, they need Christ as their Savior. And I pray today would be the day they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and He would set them free from their sin and their guilt, their shame and their sorrow. And Father, I pray this prayer out loud. If there's just one here who would trust Christ or one at home, my desire, my prayer is they would pray this prayer in faith and trust Christ today. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive today. So Jesus, I ask you would come into my heart and into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins and put all my faith and trust in Jesus today. Father, be with us as we follow through in these commitments we make today. Guide us, bless us, and be with us. May all that we do honor Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray.